What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Believe it or not, we read or listen or listen. That's right. I get I. This is a book report, John. This is a book review. School at home, ham book review. The victory machine, the making and unmaking of the Warriors dynasty by full disclosure. A guy we like, Ethan Sherwood Strauss. <laughs> and uh, as our friend Colin Coward would say, winners like winners. That's right. So, uh, you know, we're winners. The Warriors are winners. Strauss and the Victory Machine is a winner. We thought, why don't we just combine it all? And uh, we, we both, you read the book. I listened to the book. We got a lot of takes. We got a lot of thoughts. It was it, fascinating insight. Why not talk about it? Yeah. You know, the the, the advantage to uh, buying the book on my iPad, we both bought the book, by the way. Pretty impressive. Especially for me, because I go to the library a lot. Uh, is that you can uh, <laughs> you can fake, when you buy the book yourself on the iPad, John, you can fake a uh inscription from the author look at that what does it say you are great <laughs> to guy ethan sherwood strauss so good handwriting ethan yeah I, I enjoyed it I enjoyed it a lot and we got time you know we got time in quarantine you might as well uh you know put some knowledge in your brain uh at the bottom you see a list of a, a variety of things including all the words i had to uh, look up while uh, reading this book. The good news, you listen, so you know how to pronounce all these new words now. Yeah, but they just go right in one ear and out the <laughs> other ear. All right, here uh, we're, we're going to talk about the things that stuck. Uh, we do uh, recommend the book. Uh, you know, this is like my Yelp reviews, John, that I did for um, about a week and a half. I only reviewed restaurants I liked. Like, I wasn't going to get on Yelp and be like, I, the service sucked. The, the burrito was cold. Like, there's enough of that shit. I don't care. We're only going to tell you about stuff we like. Okay? We like the book. You should get the book. Um... Let's just start with the title, the sub, the subtitle, really, the making and unmaking of the Warriors dynasty. And as you can see, the picture is KD. We're going to finish by talking about KD because he's a big focus of kind of the book and part of what elevated the Warriors and then led to a lot of the parts that led to the uh, unmaking. So what do you think? How do you view that subhead, the unmaking of the uh, Warriors dynasty? Is, has it been unmade? Yeah, I think there's just way too much unknown. You still have guys that are in their early 30s in Steph, Clay, and Draymond. 
who I, I think sometimes when the Warriors get talked about in the post-KD era, that we forget about the pre-KD era. And, and you and I were lucky enough to go to a ton of games for the Warriors in the first two years of Steve Kerr. And listen, I, I will go to the And mat. we went to some of the Mark Jackson years, too. Went to the Mark Jackson, exactly. But that 73-win team, I understand that they lost – was as good of a as you know as a team up until Game Seven of the NBA Finals as I'll ever see in my life, and I've we've you know I was born in the mid '80s, so I've seen the mid '90s Bulls, the Shaq and Kobe teams. They were a fucking juggernaut. Now the the results are the results, but the previous year they were the defending champions. They didn't win the '73 win. They won the year before. Steph, Clay, and Draymond have one more ring than Kevin Durant, and I think we just we'll see. You know, they're a little older now, but we've seen the iterations of, I think with the last dance going on, that champions, it's hard to kill them, man. And uh, unlike a lot of guys like John Stockton, Carl Malone later in their career, or, you know, the Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce teams, those teams just weren't able to get back over the edge, but they came, you just put yourself in a situation, even Kobe and Shaq, the year they lost to the, remember to the Detroit Pistons. Like, they were there. I, I do think this Warrior team, I don't know if they're going to win another one, though I would bet on them having a damn good chance. I, I do think in this next couple-year stretch, you know, this next season and then the following season, I would probably keep it kind of shorter. I wouldn't go in like a five-year window. They're going to have their shot. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Now, maybe it's a different window than the last window we saw, but to your point, it's the same guys trying to hold the window open. I mean, Jordan, the the, the last dance is great to watch as you also read. It, it's great to read this book while you're watching the last, last dance because there's a lot of similarities, including how ego ends something before it should end, right? Like that's part of the theme of, of the last dance. But like imagine, yeah, imagine – Jordan just left to play baseball. You would not have bet that the Bulls will win three more championships in the next five years. No, you probably would. I would have at the time, if I would have said how many championships they win the next, let's just say five, you would have been like, I bet they win a couple, right? Maybe. I mean, maybe you'd say one. I mean, there'd been so many good teams. You'd say like, I would have said like, oh, the Knicks are about to get theirs maybe. Or the, or the, the yeah, Shaq, you know, and the Orlando Magic. Here's the one thing I think it really parallels though, is as you see in the last dance, Scotty, Michael, Ron Harper, and how Mike liked you know the other role players, how tight he was with the coach. There is a cohesion with Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and a passion for the organization and the Warriors with the head coach and the GM and the owner. Like they're all kind of on the same page of what the goal is, and they take a, a shitload of pride, maybe even more than some of those guys on the Bulls because they hated Jerry Krause. In the Warriors, like they have a like LeBron, does he have that much pride in the Lakers, or is the pride about his brand? Does Kawhi give a shit about the Clippers? No, like the and I'm not saying that means that much, but that is an element here that these guys have that let's face it, most people in the NBA no longer have. It's a great point. Uh, All right, we're going to talk about we've broken our thoughts into five categories: an overlooked aspect of the Warriors that this book hammers home, our favorite non-KD person in this book. Our favorite quotes, an underrated kind of awesome part of the book, and then the Kevin Durant lesson because that's a big part of it. Before we get any further, John, though, uh, just a reminder, subscribe to this channel. We appreciate that, and like this video. Yep. Check out our podcast below in the description. Haberman, that's him. Middlecoff, that's me. 
subscribe to that. Subscribe. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, overlooked aspect of the Warriors in general that this book hammers home is what to you? Uh, for as great as everything has been, and for as great as the two MVPs were with Steph, then landing Kevin Durant, and how they were treated like a group of rock stars, as they were once Kevin showed up. Joe Lacob, Bob Myers, Steve Curry, you know, admits it because he inherited them all, but they inherited Steph Curry. And Steph Curry, to me, is as transcendent as in my lifetime. Not Post, like, Magic Bird, you'd go, like, Michael, like, Kobe Shaq, Allen Iverson, LeBron. Like, it's a short list, and that little dude's on it. Now, he's not that little, you know, relative to NBA yeah. players. I mean, he's 6'3", but he is... He is a transcendent individual, you would say, right, not just in basketball, but in the history of sports. Yes. And and, and, they and, and he, they, he was just gifted to them, given like, and they tried to trade him countless times and everything. And Right. But I would say sometimes people that are put on a pedestal because they represent something larger are made better than they were as a player because they represent something larger like to society or to the evolution of the game or whatever it is. Like Steph was every Steph changed everything because of how great it wasn't for a social stance, right? It wasn't um, for anything other than how great of a player he was. And in being great, he changed the way the game is played on every level. Uh, I think he's he's arguably the second best point guard right now if he never played another game. Think about that. God, you so everyone's so mean to Isaiah. Jeez. But he but he's won more championships than him. He's won more MVPs. It's just. No, Isaiah was. I think people ahead of that era him, would but argue, but you're right. No, I, I, I think if you pulled most people, they'd go Magic one, Steph two. Yeah. Right. And even if they put Isaiah two, they'd probably have Steph three. But right? I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think to your to back to your point, it's not just that they. It, it's not just that everyone kind of lucked into Steph Curry. It's that they drafted him. It, they didn't luck into the pick. They lucked into keeping him. Like, even once they had him, right? I, did you know, because I, I remember reading the part of the book where Ethan describes that they tried to trade Clay and Steph for Chris Paul to the New Orleans Hornets. And Chris was like, yeah, I'm not resigning with you guys after this year. And so the deal didn't happen. The Warriors I, got lucky in that instance that they weren't a, they weren't viewed as a good franchise, right? Right. right. And then there was the discussion about trading uh, for Kevin Love and trading Clay away there. Well, you, you know what's funny is Larry Harris, the assistant GM, had gone on Bay Area Radio and denied that, and Chris Paul doubled down like a week later. He was asked about it on a podcast and said, yes, that happened, and I ex he laid it out exactly like Ethan wrote. Yeah. And Ethan you know, had some retweets throughout the week, and rightfully so. Like He's not making this shit up. And, and again, sometimes... We, we play this game after the fact where you didn't even like him. There is just – this sports, right? Once – when Ron Wolf traded for Brett Favre in 92, did he know Brett Favre was going to be Brett Favre? No, he liked him. But there's there's some luck involved in player acquisition. Also – Right? Is, the, 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 the John, this is – It happens all the time. Did, did the Bulls know when they acquired Dennis Rodman in 96 – after the disaster of the San Antonio Spurs, that he would be as good as he was for them? I mean, they hoped. Yeah, they knew how good was, of a player he was. They didn't know if they'd be able to 
manage him. He could he, he could have been out by six months later. But I would say this is what's different about sports. Like people always say, I mean, I've heard this. I don't know this firsthand. That Beethoven was not appreciated in his time. He was only his his music is only appreciated after his death. But with athletes, you get you have such a small the window is so small, and you get better as time goes on. So the guy that the Warriors tried to trade for Chris Paul is not the same guy that won the MVP. I mean, it's the same human, but it's not the same player. There is so much projection involved. We're not evaluating like static, stuck in stone things here, right? This is not well. Deba- this is not buying and selling gold, and the the weight is the weight. This is an well, evolving think about this. thing. After year two of Giannis in the NBA, you would have been like, anyone want to? Tr- we want three first round picks for Giannis and two players. People have been like, the fuck are you talking about, right? But five, four or five years later. It's like, uh, you want our draft for the next decade? Like, what would it take to acquire the guy? So you're right. I mean, players are a stock market in the sense that at a given time, when you look at their career, and everyone matures differently. Like, LeBron immediately was great right away. Mahomes immediately great right away. Some guys, three or four, like, it took Giannis a couple years. Not You saw it, and then it was like, damn. He's gone into superstardom. And some guys hit the scene you know, Tyreek Evans once upon a time. Didn't he win the rookie of the year over Steph Curry? If you would have said after the rookie year, what player would every NBA, NBA team have wanted, they would have chose Tyreek. And then things, Derrick Rose, injuries. I don't know they're, about they're, that, by they, the way. That they all would have chosen Tyreek. Well, I think it would have been maj- heavy majority Tyreek Evans. Just given the evidence that we had. He was bigger. He was productive. Because again, you would just be projecting. But it was, it was a lot of going, stat chasing too, though. With that, but with to that me, at, at, when you're that young, you just project. Well, if I get this guy in the system, look at his physical skills, kind of like a Ben Simmons. I mean, I, I just think you always lean to me in pro sports, even with basketball, over the longer guy. That, that, that there was, you could argue, a little bit of a red flag on Steph that way. Smaller guy, you know, how big would he mature physically? He wasn't going to grow anymore. Well, his ankle, Chris, you're right. They had to get his ankles fixed. Yeah, I just think there's always unknown with guys that don't immediately, you know, like an all-time great number one overall pick type player, especially yeah. in basketball. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I, I agree with you there. I, I think the the historical record that is set in this book about Steph, and it's not that it's been written about, and it's it's something that anyone that's followed it is aware of, but I do think in terms of just a, talking about this book, that's an important part of this book. Uh, favorite quote? Or quotes. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff in here, but um, did you have a favorite? Not necessarily I, an I, Ethan quote, but like a quote that he quotes. He was at a practice with Jerry West, and I'm pretty sure this was the 73-win team. So the big question mark was, Harrison, how much were they going to pay Harrison in the offseason? The rumblings of Kevin Durant were already kind of simmering, but they were chasing the Bulls record it actually, people probably remember it a little differently. It was definitely out there, but it was much more about the team. Just keep Barnes, just keep it rolling. And they were at a practice, and and I think Ethan asked, like, what do you think of Harrison Barnes sitting right next to Jerry West? And Jerry West basically said, like, feet are fucked up, moves are slow, look at that. And he kind of flailed. And then Ethan follows up, like, so what do you think about paying him $20 million plus a year? 
and Jerry West, and Ethan would kind of throw in his own little uh, accents, like in 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 his reading of it. Like Jerry West had the Southern twang, and Jerry pointed at the I elevator, and 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 uh, and Jerry just like said, "Harrison Barnes, twenty million, bye bye." <laughs> With like one of these, or and, and and he was right, and then Ethan kind of compounded it on the thing with Harrison Barnes has all this talent and the NBA is full of these guys, these physicals. He, he, I mean, he was once dubbed kind of the next Michael Jordan. Remember when he went to North Carolina, this huge recruit, I think from Iowa. And at the end of the day, Harrison Barnes looked you in the face and went, well, I was a top seven pick. I got a $90 million contract. I got another $85 million contract. Harrison Barnes is going to rack up $200 million playing basketball. And he will never, ever be better than a top four, probably the fifth best player on a on a on a championship team. Right now, he's like the third best player in the Kings, and look where that gets you. Yeah. Jerry was right. Yeah, Jerry was right. Uh, my favorite quote: I've mentioned it to you, Warren Legary, the agent, talking about Rob Polinka takes some shots in this book, even though Rob had the relationship with Bob Myers. Like, they know each other. Rob was Iguodala's agent when the Warriors worked really hard to get Iguodala. Um, but, uh, oh, there was also the quote where somebody's they're talking about Joe Lacob and someone's like, uh, he's among the league leaders in this fucking guy. Although Rod Palinka outpaces him, was the quote. <laughs> but that's not... So Warren Legary, they're talking about, like, why Bob Myers is just so good at relationships because some people are fake. A lot of people maybe, and Bob is just authentic. And the, the, uh, the quote is we hear, we look over in Rob's office and he's on the phone and he's like, yo, what's up dog? How you be man? And we'd be like, isn't there a middle-class white guy here? Where did he go? Uh, and that it's just such a cold cutting revelation, right? To say that about a person, like when you're talking to this guy, he might be fake with you. Um, and to illustrate it that way, and as you pointed out to me, and I thought the same thing, the idea that somebody would view Rob Palinka as a middle-class guy, how rich do you have to be uh, to think he's well, middle-class? The, the book portrays Rob Palinka as a pretty big fraud, right? Just yeah. And not necessarily like he clearly knows basketball. He's been around the game for a while. He's on the right players. Like he, I mean, Kobe was his guy. He's, been, he's had big-time clients. To me, the book, though, just makes it whatever he just – He's a walking, talking chameleon. He'll just change to do whatever it takes to get where he wants to go. Look where he's at now. You got to give him some credit. He's, I guess he's resurrected the Lakers. I, I would give all LeBron the credit, and I don't think Palinka had anything to do with LeBron coming. But he did, I guess, end up make the Anthony Davis trade go through. But, yeah, it doesn't make – it also portrays Bob Myers as – kind of the anti-agent even while he's as an agent. Like, right. they all gave Bob credit. Like, he never acted like that. Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to Bob, like, though. I got a couple more quotes for you. Yeah, but but I, in fairness to Polinka, I would say it's kind of an agent characteristic. But it, yeah, you know, it, I don't know is, if he's too different than everyone right, else. It, it is used, to your point, to elevate Bob. And I think part of, the, part of what's being said, maybe. Now, it's another agent saying it, so he's not saying all of us are like Rob. Bob's different than us. He's saying Rob is... Is different than us too, which you know, you, who knows if that's true, but um, but it is to elevate Bob in part. Um, a yeah. couple other things: Flip Saunders telling Steve Kerr that when he meets with an owner eventually, when he interviews for a job, just to take a lot of shit, just have a big binder. They just 
it'll impress them. It just makes it look like you've tried really hard. I thought that was great advice. And it, honestly, it kind of sticks out to why Rob Palenka is always changing his voice. A lot of life is faking it, right? Because think how stupid that is. You want me to be your head coach, and it's about just bring a bunch of binders with plays, even though the co- the owners won't have any fucking clue what you're handing them. Think how dumb that is when you take a step back. Like, are you, are you, are you trying to hire the best coach, or do you want a guy with some binders? That but it looks also just part? shows how little you really know, how little you get out of a six-hour interview. You think you're like, ah, oh, we they were together for eight hours a day for three days. It's like, yeah, you don't really know. Remember, they met in the hangar at Oklahoma City right. to interview Steve. I, I also, people forget a little bit, and I, the book doesn't hammer this too much, just about Steve Kerr almost went to the Knicks. Well, they didn't want to give him five for 25. They didn't want to pay him. Yeah. Uh, the other the other quote I have here, just uh, at the Hamptons meeting, when Katie asked Steph if it's going to be cool between Nike and Under Armour, and Clay goes, "Is it? but is it good for Anta? Also good quote. That was funny. Um, underrated part of the book. Actually, I'll, I'll start here because we're just talking about sneakers. I think one part of the book that's underrated because all the Kevin stuff and uh, and just some of these other quotes and the trade stuff about Steph, that Kevin Durant basically sunk Under Armour by signing with the Warriors. And it's partly because Steph, unlike a lot of guys who – view their primary employer as their shoe company, right? Like LeBron is Nike for life. Jordan is Jordan brand and Nike for life. Steph's number one priority was the Warriors, not Under Armour. And because he prioritized winning with the Warriors and trying to win again, even though they'd already won over Under Armour, KD comes in, Under Armour stock is $43. That a few days after KD signs, Under Armour stock peaks at $50. Um, in October, so in October it's fifty dollars. Twenty sixteen, a yeah. year later, Under Armour stock is seventeen dollars, and just by giving up market share. Now there's also the shoe design, and the, you know there's other elements here. But just by being willing to say, Warriors number one, Under Armour number two, uh, I don't know how much Nike really worried about Under Armour, but they stamped them out. Well, as of recording this today, guy. Nike is currently at eighty-eight dollars. Under Armour's at eight. Well, so yeah, they, but John, pandemic. Went, what was it in uh, you know December? It was under twenty dollars, so it had never been wow. the same. And Steph Curry was their rocket ship, and it derailed it. And I, I think a huge element of that was it, it was a great all-time win for Nike because it, I don't know. You're right. It, under Armour wasn't going to overtake them. But they were becoming, they had this rocket ship and Steph who, like you said, just didn't didn't think about them because they weren't the most important entity. Like, LeBron never would have done that. You know, Michael never would have done that. And Steph did. And you can say whatever you want, but, you know, corporations, Under Armour I, at the time was paying Steph way more than the Warriors were. And obviously, LeBron and Kevin, they make more from Nike than they do from any of their teams. Yeah. So that that's shoe wars and basketball, man, are no, no joke. joke. The, the other part with that is the, the, where you see Steph kind of in a different light, right? Where he's really angry at the Under Armour people. They have a big meeting at his house. He wants their logo off the shoe. They want to put Steph's logo, the SC30 logo on, right? You contrast yeah. that with, like, Jordan 
where Nike put, like, Jordan didn't tell Nike, I don't want the swoosh. It's got to be me, right? They just doubled down. They put them both, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, another underrated part about this book, and we touched on it a little bit with Palenka, is Bob's role. Yeah. And I, I think toward the end, he felt undervalued at the end of the last season with Kevin Durant. Steph, Steve Kerr was making way more money than he was. I think Bob's role, because he's not – He's not viewed as Jerry West, some elite talent scout, even though he's a basketball guy. And as an agent, you're ultimately being a talent scout because you're picking the guys that you think are going to be the best players and earn the most money. But how do you quantify relationships? Because it matters a lot. You see it in the Jordan documentary. Phil was in charge of it. Now, Steve plays somewhat of a role with that, clearly, with this team, a little Phil role. But I think Bob unlike Jerry Krause, is also kind of like a Steve Phil. And he definitely was like that with Kevin. He's like that with Draymond. I, I think he just plays a role like that, which is the other veteran and younger players on the team. He's, and, and maybe this is just a normal general manager role now in 2020 than it used to be more kind of like an NFL GM or a baseball GM where it's just like you're kind of always going to be the bad guy. I, I don't think they're necessarily the bad guy anymore in basketball. You can't be. And it's just fascinating to see his role with the team. Is he, you know, the stress of working for Joe is clearly really intense. I mean, Joe is just, he's just an outlier personality. He's what makes sports great, right? We get these personalities over our lifetimes, whether it's the Steinbrenners, the Jerry Jones, the Mark Cubans. And he's come in recently and just immediately become a character in this whole thing. And it's fun. And, you know, I think Ballmer is kind of like that, too. The difference is Joe's one big. Yeah, and after really he got big. booed in his own arena. And after he got booed, and his franchise was a joke when he took it over. When Ballmer took it over, at the end of the day, they had Doc Rivers, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. Like, they had been winning. They were Lob City. There, there was none of that shit with the Warriors. Yeah. Like, they were a laughing stock. And Joe's just, Joe's a cocky motherfucker. And he doesn't hide from it, and I'm glad he doesn't. I, I, I find Joe Lacob highly entertaining, but... It's also a huge challenge to be Bob Myers, probably even more than Steve Kerr, because that's who he's going to first, right? He, that's and every time Bob and he talks about this in the book, you know, one theme was in the NBA they say a good coach can't win with a bad roster, but a bad coach can win with a good roster. Then why do GMs always make dramatically less than head mm -hmm. coaches? And it's like, listen, I think that's a fascinating point, and I think if I'm Bob Myers, like, what the yeah. fuck? Now. Now, he'd go, well, you didn't land Kevin Durant. We already know. Jerry West talked him into it, and the players did. Now, you helped cultivate that relationship and keep it, you know, semi-normal over the three years, but it's not like you were the driving force for the, you know, the deal. Yeah. You know, um, it's a comp. Phil I, I just, I understand both sides, and it's a comp. I, I like Bob Myers a lot. Who doesn't? He's a smart guy. Does he get too much credit? Does he not get enough credit? It's probably somewhere in the middle. But it's a question you can't answer, right? Phil Jackson says in the book, most teammates aren't friends. And it obviously he's true, right? Um, most people who work together aren't, especially if you have a public thing, you may not be what people think you are in terms of a friendship. We are, but most people aren't. We're lucky. Um, but I, I think Phil was a guy, like people have always had this conversation, right? Like, Phil Jackson, or at least the people that want to denigrate Phil and say he gets too much credit, is like, yeah, he had Jordan and Pippen. He had Shaq and Kobe. It's like, yeah, Shaq and Kobe, they had other coaches. Jordan and Pippen had other coaches. How come Phil got way more out of them than anybody else got out of them? There has never been a team that's won champion, a championship, let alone championships, 
without great players. That one has not occurred. So I, I think with Bob, like one thing Ethan calls him a perpetual merchant of maintenance, which is a great line. And, uh, guy's got to be an exhausting role. Yeah. But I mean, think about a maintenance guy. You don't know a good or a bad, if your car keeps running well, you don't, you just assume yeah, your car's good. Well, maybe it's your mechanic. You don't know. You don't know your mechanic sucks until your car starts breaking down. Maybe it's your car. If things go smoothly, Bob, no one knows anything, right? Like, oh, Bob doesn't do shit if everything's smooth. Well, it's like, well, Phil says not, most teammates aren't friends, so somebody's doing something back there. Now, some of it's Steve, and it's just the organization, right? Like, to your point on Lakeham, well, it's one thing Ethan wrote was like it, something about um, uh, when there is a leadership void, somebody's going to try and fill that that void, and it might be – he didn't write it this way, but – it might be the wrong person or there just might be a void and you got a bunch of people who think they're in control. And the one thing with the Warriors organizationally, right, there is no leadership void at the top of the organization. Like everybody knows no. who's at the very top. Like there's the no absentee owner. Right. It's it's a very – I think it's a collaborative process. That's why I think it's difficult sometimes to go who's getting the credit, who's not getting the credit beside the players, which clearly the players deserve the bulk of the credit. But Steve, Bob – play very important roles and I think if you're on the inside like if you're Bob you go well he's getting 80% of the credit I'm getting 20% of the credit it's a more of a 50-50 split here you know when Kevin Durant's throwing fucking shit at me for not suspending Draymond and then I do suspend Draymond like I it's like what do we do here it's 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 a more difficult role than I think people would assume it would be yeah yeah And, and again I think it goes back to I think you walk if you walk up to a player who has a, eleven teammates, you if you say man because I'm sure guy, players get this all the time right like man John what is guy pretty cool to be his teammate, you, you but you might hate that guy or you might think that guy's selfish yeah. or you might maybe that guy was dating your sister and cheated on her I mean who knows like just so many weird dynamics. And I think everyone just assumes they're on the same team. They almost love each other. It's like, I don't want to talk about that well, guy. Well, guy, when I was at Cal Poly, a guy named Horace Grant lived in Paso Robles. I ran into a bar with him one night, held court with him for a couple hours, got Michael Jordan stories. Yeah. Twelve years later, I learned he was a rat in this book. Who even knows their relationship? Right. Now, it was still cool getting the stories from Horace. I, I, I wish I wouldn't have drank so much so I could have wrote them down and remember them all. But now I know that Michael thinks he was a mole. Yeah. So I don't That's know. Good. You know, you just never you know. in the moment. Uh, all right, next category. We kind of hit on this a little, but best non-Kevin Durant person in the because Kevin's such a central figure. Best non-KD person that you focus on. Is it Bob for you? or? Yeah, it'd, it'd be Bob or Lakob. I mean, I, I find Lakob really, really fascinating. He To me, the majority, the majority of billionaires in America are self-made, and he came from the, the gutter in the dirt and made it, and that's why he is what he is. You know, it, it speaks about his just his intensity met with optimism. And I think most successful people in the world are optimistic. They're, they're not negative people because it's hard to achieve when you're always negative. Now, sometimes I think that gets you in trouble because in this book, it said like everyone in the traveling party was always like, Kevin's gone, Kevin's gone. And Joe would just not let it go. I think we can still get him. I think we can still get him. But that's just the way he thinks. And then just the way he's operated coming in like a tornado in terms of the business practices, gets the stadium or the arena built in downtown San Francisco when it's impossible to get anything done around here at that magnitude, self-finances it, uh, just 
you know, is a huge driving force to go get Kevin Durant, is always a driving force to try to go get Anthony Davis, try to go get Giannis. His bar is just, to me, he's the modern-day Eddie DeBartolo in this area. Like, they're just they're just taking big swings, and, and they're playing for championships. And if I, you know, any diehard Warriors fan should be proud that you have an owner like that, that, you know, it's just not, you know, sometimes the Giants, for example, I think, can get a little cheap here and there. Uh, good organizations can and I just don't think he thinks like that. Uh, it's just not the way he operates. He's even watching the Bulls documentary like, yeah, they won six championships, but they were always trying to cut some corners and make it cheap. And they would have got rid of some guys if they could have like that's not like is would like in a million years. Get rid of Scottie Pippen, you know, or even be talking about that. Are you fucking out of your mind? You, now, does that mean they're always going to win? They might not win another championship forever. But I, I just, I know when this guy owns the team, they're always doing whatever it takes to win. And that's, I think, all you can, like Mark Cuban, how many championships has he won? Well, if you're a Mavericks fan, you go, this guy does give me, for 90, 99% of the time, you could argue after the 2011 championship, they let some guys go. I think they probably regret that a little bit, but they were older. That he he always just tries. Yeah, That's all you want in an owner is just full try. And it's, it's harder in basketball sometimes. Salary cap smaller. Your assets are more limited. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, he's as unrealistic as a fan is about how much they could win. And that's what makes him attractive to a fan, right? I, I've always thought that because he grew up in Boston, when winning three championships was not success, but you had to have more than more rings than fingers, that he, this is why, right, one of the dynamics in the book is he thinks that there is no, that windows don't close, that you can keep a window open forever. And Peter Guber is like, no, window, there's an ebb and a flow. There's highs. Because there's highs, there's also downs and vice versa. Um, and, I, and I've told him that. I, I interviewed him last year, and I said, I think it's, is this, is this because of the Celtics? He's like, you know, I've never thought of that. Maybe. Maybe it's, to your point, maybe it's just him, that that's just how he has to be. But, yeah, I, for me, Steve Kerr, um, because Steve, I don't know if the book fully works without Steve being as open as he is about so many different things, specifically Kevin. Like, I thought one of the best parts of the book was, and we'll get to Kevin, but Steve saying that he had this idea that he never was able to pull together where he goes and finds internet trolls and brings them in. So... Kevin, and he says, Kevin can sit down face to face and say, Kevin, this is Joe from Portola Valley. Joe said you were a loser yesterday. Look at him carefully. Do you really care what Joe thinks? Like, John, that is absolute genius. That is so genius. And if he had been able to pull it off, I don't know, maybe it would have worked. It's a lesson that everybody who's been on social media for a long period of time at some point learns and maybe battles with, depending how much stock you put in it. But I think some of the pop stuff, some of the, the Phil stuff, the Jordan stuff, the way all that stuff kind of – Steve brings a lot of first-hand accounts of history and learning from history to the book that I think give it a dimension that um, adds a lot. So, Well, to, to me, the crazy part about that example for Steve, and then Steve was like, Joe would be like, hey, man, I was having a bad day. I like you a lot. Can I have your autograph? Yeah. Kevin would be like, yeah, yeah. you probably be both just normal, nice guys. The irony of Kevin and the 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 social media stuff that they had to navigate, it'd be one thing if like all the players were obsessed with it, but they had Steph Curry, who's equally as famous, you could argue, in this area more. And, you know, he just 
I don't know how you quantify it, but they're they're unaffected. Like Draymond, he's not responding to trolls. Every Clay, fuck, who cares? That's that, to me. That was balancing that for Steve. And I I think unlike Phil, who he was able to get through most of his guys, I I, I think that him and Kevin by the end, Kevin just didn't like yeah. him. And I, I've been told Kevin does not like him. Yeah. Now, and you could just argue that Kevin ends up not liking most people for whatever reason. And I, I wonder if Steve just kind of gets to the point, like the internet thing, where it's like, well, I just can't win this one. You know, it's not like I'm, I don't know what to do. Yeah. All right, we've arrived at the Kevin Durant part of this conversation. Um, and kind of the Katie, the let the takeaway here. I mean, there there was a lot. You and I talked before we even talked about doing. Uh, a video about this book, just about the book after we read it. I was like, God, I do you? How do you come? How do you come away feeling about and for Kevin? And part of me, you come away feeling bad, right? Why? I, I just. Why do we care so much about why he cares so much about well, social I, media? I, I think about that yeah, sometimes. To me, why, why does anyone give a fuck? It's very simple. Did he? Did he why, why does he care? Why, why do any of us it's care? Very simple. Like, because he because no one else acts like no, that. Because this is the way it works in public life. Right. This I like because this is part of the Lakeup thing, too. Right. Lakeup's thing. You're going to speak it into existence. You're going to fake it until you make it. Um, and we're kind of in that era. And but I, see, thing, I don't think Lakeup's believes in fake it till you well, make what, it. However you want to characterize it. But speak it into existence is partly fake it till you make it. But whatever. It doesn't matter how you define that. The point is that. Like a believes that you 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 believe in it enough, you can make it happen. And I do think, and I think you think, there's something to that. Unless maybe the thing you want the most is just for people to accept you. Um, you cannot force public opinion in your in into your favor if everyone knows that public opinion in your favor is what you want. Like I think the people that we aspire to be are people in part like without insecurities. That's what, that's the bullshit of Instagram influencers. And so you want to be people who look like they got it all together. And this is kind of the, um, uh, you know, like how, how do you, you, you get a girl by ignoring her, right? If you appear needy, if you appear needy for love and attention, if people at least think that's what you are, then they don't want to give it to you because hell, everyone's looking for somebody to feel better than if it's somebody that's had a lot of money or somebody that's had a lot of success, all the better. Like I can feel better. I can feel like I got my shit together and this rich person doesn't, or this famous person doesn't hell. Yeah. I think the worst thing, if you want public, the public to embrace you is to let them know how badly you want them. Like people love clay. Cause clay just acts like he doesn't give a shit. Everyone wants to be, Clay is like the guy from uh, Half Baked who just tells everybody at the burger place, right? Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. I'm out. Like people just think that's Clay's. That's Clay's. Uh, but a guy, vibe. I think. I think a lot. I think a lot of. If you just look at the most famous athletes right now, I think a lot of them are kind of like that. Say what you want about LeBron, I, I've never seen him respond to a troll on Twitter. You know, I. You know, like yeah, but uh, been think about the NFL. Right about like. Uh, yeah, it's true. I'm not saying he's not media. I'm not that, saying he's unfazed by it. But I think there's an element of we're all unfazed by things. Lakeup's unfazed or phased by things. He just doesn't show it. Right. Michael Jordan yep. can be phased right. clearly. Well, well, that's, he doesn't show That's it. the heart of it is everybody, no matter how much you think they got it together, is insecure. 
but you show well, the yeah. yeah but but again we want to aspire to be the we want to emulate the people that no matter how much we know that everybody's insecure we still think oh that guy's got it together what god i got to be like that we don't I, what i don't what i don't understand so much is why the NBA's upset the NBA in general is obsessed with Twitter. I they're I think their commissioner kind of their their ethos as a as a league the last half decade has kind of been just driven by Twitter thoughts. I mean, I don't think it directly has, but indirectly it's kind of ended up. That well, because way. it was just, good for them for a while. But good for them kind of in a hollow way because it felt big. They got all these followers. Yeah. It actually didn't translate into money. Well, but but there know? was there was a like time. ratings have plummeted. Right, yeah. Well, but that, but there was a time before that where the NFL was getting constantly crushed for social issues. Oh, and yeah. For concussions. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot, a lot of positive for sure. Right. For sure. A lot of positivity. I, I, I would agree there. But I think Kevin, whether you get one negative tweet or the amount that he does, which is probably hundreds of thousands on based on one tweet, a reply or whatever that you can find whatever you're looking for. And if you're looking for something negative and at the end of the day, he joined a team that already had a historic human being that he was never going to surpass. Even though I think we'd all agree that like when they're both really, really on Kevin might be slightly the more unstoppable. I mean, yeah. we're talking about two guys that are probably going to end up as a top two, top 10 players. And Kevin Durant, if fully healthy is like, he was the best player in the world the last three years. He fucking mopped the floor with LeBron. Now, LeBron still was great, but it was like, you couldn't do anything. You can't stop a seven-footer that can shoot like Steph. He's unfucking stoppable And then he became this team game. It was like he was the ultimate package. But he wanted his cake and eat it, too. He wanted them to only chant for him to be the MVP. They wanted He wanted like the, the city to embrace him like he was their Steph, which is impossible because it's not organic because you did come here kind of like a mercenary. Yeah, but, which is but fine. he saw LeBron went to Miami and D. Wade's town and Miami beat KD and LeBron was... But he LeBron was never as big, but LeBron was never as big as D. Wade there. Yeah, but you know? LeBron, it was LeBron can't win, LeBron can't win, LeBron won that title and nobody said, no one says now, ah, oh, LeBron's titles were cheap. LeBron, that title didn't count, right? True, and I, but I, I'd also push back on Kevin that when you joined the Heat, well, once they got... Dwayne was already there, but once they add Bosch, like you guys were going to be good, but they weren't. You joined a oh, 73 yeah. win team. It's hard to shake no, that. No, it's true. I just, I think back to your original question and kind of your point in all this is um, Kevin, in a lot of ways, is just like, it's just normal. He just happens to be on this pedestal and lets, and everyone knows, or at least it's just this crazy cycle, man. Like everyone is psychoanalyzing you because everyone's psychoanalyzing you. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't lose their shit in that situation? But it just leads to this ongoing perpetual cycle that is... Well, I actually think the cycle that he's involved in is something that's hurt the NBA. Yeah. Because it's it's multiplied to a level. Like, he's at the peak of the cycle. Right. Like, it used to be crazy with Jordan or Shaq, Kobe. But because of social media now, it probably feels totally. overwhelming that's to him. That's what says, right? And I, yeah, and I, and I think the overall vibe, when you just talk to sports fans that are our age in their mid-30s, that grew up when the NBA was as big as it's ever been with Jordan and then even Shaq Kobe, if you just ask them, like, hey, man, what do you think? It, who do you think is going to win the playoffs? Like, hey, I'm not really paying attention to the NBA. It kind of wears me out. Because I do think it could just wear the casual younger guy that follows the stories that are just like, are, are we fucking serious? Are, is this what we're talking about right now? There's one thing, like, you'd be tired of a LeBron-Jordan argument. But at the end of the day, that is a core sports type argument. There's another thing where it's like, 
are, are these guys friends because they unfollow each other on Instagram? It's like, oh, my, but, we, but, this but fucking feels like ice. And you and I do disagree on this a little bit because I think that whole thing is not what the average fan is involved with. Like, that's on Twitter. I think the bigger issue for the NBA is players changing teams and it makes it harder to follow a team. But I, I, I'm, I, but I'm just saying that factors in with that, with load management. I, I tweet, I tweeted this out the other day on Michael Jordan's games played for his entire career. Beside the year he broke his foot, he played, he basically yeah. played 82 games a season, average over 37 minutes. Like, yeah, but that, that's but another that, factor. But to me, that and player movement, like that stuff, is more what affects the average fan than players unfollowing each other on Instagram. I don't, I think players unfollowing each other on Instagram is in the same category. Oh, like in right now. People on Twitter are pretending like they're all fired up about the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, you know, in the way that Twitter pretended the AAF was something they were going to follow for more than two weeks, and then they didn't. Like, outside of Twitter, no one's fired up about the KBO. I, I'm happy baseball's here, but I'm like, I'm annoyed at how over-the-top Twitter is about, oh, KBO, like, I'm all in. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah, most people aren't. And most yeah, people I, aren't. I, I, but my, my point, though, is the Twitter things lead to – just the constant what Adam Silver said a while ago about everyone yeah, so angry. Yeah. It just like the narratives that that is, though, where it turns off the common guy when it goes, this guy has a two hundred million dollar contract and he just fucking hates the world about nothing. It's one thing like I hate the world because I hate Isaiah Thomas or I hate Kobe and Shaq. I want to beat there. That's why I'm angry. It's like, OK, we got some juice here. It's another thing like I hate the media well, the, like well, Kyrie. Shut the fuck up. It, it drove. Yeah, I hate the fans. Just shut up. Yeah. And, the, and I don't even think Kevin is naturally like that. He actually, to an OKC, always was one of the more likable guys in the league. And he had a lot of moments with the Warriors. Like, God, this guy is, this guy's kind of cool. You know, I just, he's nice and friendly. He's, he's not you know, he's, soft when it, like you watch him play basketball and he's a mentally tough basketball player. I, then, I think, then there, you can psychoanalyze, you know, he's single. He's got a lot well, of free time on his hands. That's why he's on social media all the time. You know, yeah, just, I, it never ends. And that where it wears me I, out. Yeah. I do think there's this back and forth of like, I, and I really, I, I feel this way the whole time about Kevin. I don't blame him in the slightest for if he snaps snapping because this thing just it doesn't stop but the other part of that is when he came to the Warriors and he had this room full of people that wanted that were on his side right and by the end they still love him to varying degrees maybe but they're not quite on his side in the same way right the stuff that Draymond says Steve speaks openly Steph always kind of publicly had his back but by the end, maybe Wait. it was the stuff like, you know, Connor Letourneau of the Chronicle in the book says Clay skipped out one day after a good game and Kevin made a comment about how you guys are going to write about how Clay skipped out of here? Or no, or is he just no one writes anything bad about Clay? Like all that well, stuff. Well, yeah, it's me if it you're, but I, Kevin clearly worried a lot about everything, the narrative on every single guy, the coach, the GM, and that can just overwhelm you. Like if that's, in 2020, because the stories are just nonstop. Overwhelm him or overwhelm his teammates? Overwhelm Kevin, yeah. because if you're just always looking like, what what did they write about Clay? If you're just always looking for it, you're going to find exactly what you kind of want to find to be pissed off. Here's the other kind of elephant in the room, though, why I think at the end it splintered, because Steve Kerr is all in on the Warriors. Draymond Green is all in on the Warriors. Steph Curry, who actually didn't really splinter, still kind of liked them, all in on the Warriors. Clay Thompson, all in on the Warriors. Andre Godala wanted to finish his career here, all in on the Warriors. Bob Myers fucking has the ticket from like 88 when Sleepy Floyd scored the point, all in on the Warriors. Joe Lacob would give up everything he has to just keep the Warriors. And then you have this guy, which 
I'm only, I'm not blaming Kevin on this. I'm blaming them. You guys hired this guy like a mercenary. You date a stripper, you can't get mad when she cheats on you, right? When you when you hire this mercenary great player back to like Pat Riley at the end, strippers when Pat, are unloyal. Like, you went on that press conference. You, you know, remember Pat Riley's like, it should be hard. We're trying to yeah. win. Well, Pat, you got LeBron James this way. You can't be shocked when he flips it around and goes topsy turvy on you. Kevin is just showing this is who Kevin is. So, yeah, he's going to go with Kyrie Irving to the Knicks, to the Nets, wherever he ended up going as it was playing out, where, guys, you were kind of doing this to him three years removed. Yeah, or taking advantage of his, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. but but on the other end, on the positive right, side, like, right. well, we're going to kick Kevin, we're going to kick Barnes to the curve, Bogut to the curve, and go get Kevin. Yeah, I, and it was like, it was cool. And then it got shitty. Same with Pat Riley. It sucks. It's awesome when the girl leaves you for him to come to you. It fucking sucks when she leaves you to go to him, right? right. Yeah. And they've been on the both sides of it. Um, it's where I don't blame Kevin for, like, just being Kevin. I, and I, I think they all kind of thought, we're going to win a title, and that'll change. And I and think they, a lot of us they, watching— If they would have won, he would have gone, right? It, say it again. He never tears his Achilles. They beat the Raptors. He's still on the Nets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm What I'm saying, though, is the first title they won, I think he kind of felt like, I'm going to finally get my due. And a due that, by the way, he deserves and deserved, I think, right? It's like, they're going to cry. I'm going to be the best player in the NBA now, whether you think well, he is or he not. The, wasn't, he the fi- wasn't he the finals MVP? Yeah, but it's not. But people didn't go, oh, Kevin is here, right? That's not. And I think you and I both kind of knew watching it. That's not how this is going to go. Just because you can't walk into a family and just replace members of the family's love for each other. And it turns out there wasn't enough for everybody. There was just, now nah, we're just going to love Steph more. That's what people decided. That's how people felt, well, it, John. That's how they felt. It, and you weren't going to change how they felt. Is it fair to say that Kevin needed them more than they needed him? Uh, yeah, yes, in the sense that I think even without Kevin, they still come back, and maybe not. They're going to win another championship, or maybe two. They might win them both. Yeah, maybe not. And, and you'd say, you would say Kevin's such a great player, he probably would have won one, but you never know, right? He well, gets just has the wrong teammates. If, they max the wrong guy. He stays with Russ. Who knows? What if him and Ru- what if he is with Russ still right now today? Well, like he had been the with Russ year. the last three years. Yeah, last Let's just. They, they could have won another one, or they could have won one, right? You'd they, think, they could but have, you never know. Like they're, but they, they could the have. The Warriors didn't. The Warriors had already won one. Like they had already made it. So that's where I'm saying they didn't need him. Like they they already had their title. So worst case scenario, they never won another one. They sit at the table with the rings. Where Kevin, he came to them. You know, one thing was in there was Daryl Morey gave a quote to Ethan. It was like, oh fuck. Because they they looked at the uh, the projections. Was it, it Maury like, or it was, was or what? No, it was uh, it was the Cavs. It was what's his name? Who's with the Hornets now? Oh yeah, it was David, yeah, Griffin. David Griffin. It was like uh, this. They're like our over. readout says they're gonna win ninety three games. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 I think anytime that happens, it's like it's too good to be true. And then you watched it, you're like, oh, yeah, they were right. It just this is too good to be true, right? It would be like it'd be like tomorrow if I told you, well, the Chiefs. The Chiefs got Clowney and Odell Beckham. You're like, can they really do this? And then all of a sudden, or the year the Patriots got Randy Moss. You're like, this could be pretty good. Then all of a sudden, like two months in, you're like, 
holy shit. Because there'd be moments where it'd be like, Steph to Kevin, alley-oop to Clay. But you'd be like, this is not. And then the playoffs started. You're like, yeah, this is a joke. Uh, two other things I made note I want to mention, just real quick, John. If, maybe if you have something else just to clean up. One, uh, after the fans, after um, Mo Buckets came back with the Clippers and the fans ch- chanted his name and Katie says, how can you call yourself Mo Buckets when you never average 20 points a game? And then uh, I thought that got a little too. That kind of went viral on the internet. Like it? that's to me a normal. Yeah, it's, no, I, to me that is funny. Kind of funny. Like that's that is that's shit funny. talking. That is legit shit. Like that's funny. I, I'm with Kevin on that. Even though I'm, but that's the point. Like that's what we're talking about here. Is it's not. Sometimes you just love somebody and you love them, and you can't tell fans. Well, he he doesn't deserve that. And they're like, fuck you. We call him Mo Buckets. It's fun, right? But I think I think Michael might have said something like that, right? Again, the quote's legit, and it's yeah. funny, and it's tr- there's truth in it. But it's also an illustration that you just people love them because people love them. That's it. Uh, the line about um, what's the show on ESPN called? That's like LeBron show. No, the the boardroom. Board <laughs> Ethan goes. Whoever agreed to the show appeared to be under the impression that fans wanted to hear about investing in Postmates. I think I think they called it a poor man's the shop. It's terrible. You you to me it's just one of those sh- like a passion project <laughs> where they're they're passing around the hookah or a joint in the Oakland Hills like 2 years ago, bored as shit on an off day, throwing around idea right you got rich climbing on a whiteboard, the boardroom. And cuz one one clip I saw one time was they brought in PJ Tucker to talk about fashion. It's like, guys, who are you resonating with here? You know, like this is, and I get from ESPN standpoint, but you're right. They're just talking about their investments and like how really rich we are. You're like, at least LeBron, like they kind of just talk some shit about random people. This one is all about like doing moves, making business acquisitions. That's one thing, just big picture. I think NBA needs to try to steer away from. It's just constantly talking about how sweet brands and money and just wealth. Yeah. It's just that is an overwhelming theme. Theme of the NBA is like, how can we take our three hundred million dollars and turn it into four hundred seventy-five? It's like, Jesus. No, can we it's just, a great point. Can you just be a normal human for fucking a split it's second, a fantastic like Phil point. Jackson with a cigar because and a beer. Being well-rounded is what you should. It's a great thing to be, but it's not how you sell brands. And stars. Do you just want to know? Uh, uh, here's our star that dunks on everybody. Here's our star that shoots from really far away and makes a bunch of shots. Here's our star that talks a lot of shit. It's it's well rounded. It's too much for people. That's not how you package a brand. You just tell them here's the thing it does. Well, sometimes I, I've noticed this with uh, PGA Tour players, like some of the younger guys, like Justin Thomas or Ricky Fowler. That both are probably worth hundred million plus. They'll be in their backyard trying to shoot something for Instagram that's going to be funny that they're going to post. They don't stop and go, can we admire my pad really quick? I paid, this is, I live in Florida. I paid 3.4 million for this thing. Look how sweet it is. No, they don't, they don't even acknowledge it. But if you're really looking for it, you're like, that's God, that pad is the, sweet. Yeah, that's part of what makes the video sweet. And, they, and it kind of, it just, and I think a lot of athletes are kind of good with that. The basketball players, and I think this is LeBronification and clutch of the NBA, it's like, push your wealth, push push your brand. It's like, guys, it kind of worked for LeBron, who had Nike back in him and became this, arguably the second best player ever. You got to be careful with the boardroom. You can't talk about 
just your wealth and your wealth and your wealth and your wealth and not have people think you're kind of a clown. I'll give Clay and even Steph credit. They don't talk about how rich they are when they are super, super rich, right? Like Steph buys a $30 million home. Like that turns some people off, but whatever. It just but that, does. but yeah, but not enough. But that doesn't. The number of people that turns off is irrelevant. Well, I, but it would it would turn off way more people if he's like, you guys want an inside look of my thirty million dollar home? I, I mean, MTV Cribs lasted for a long time, pushing that. Yeah, but there was a balance to it. I, I think it's just to me, it's a little different now. And again, I'm, he's not getting any shit. He doesn't really talk no, about. Of it. He's we just he's just rich. He just be quiet. Yeah. I, I narratives um, narratives are hard to turn around once they're rolling down the hill. Well, spe- especially in the NBA, yeah. where it kind of drives the sport now. All right, this video was head- was uh, the headlines was longer than we anticipated, but that's okay. Like the video, like the video. Yeah, forget about reading the book. Just like the video. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.